Now remember the story of the Bible began with humans in God's presence, but they were banished because of their rebellion. However, God wants to be in relationship with us. So he chooses one family that he will use to restore the world back into his presence. And so God's presence comes to dwell in a tent right in the middle of Israel. And that's great. But it creates a problem because it's so intense that Moses can't go in and other priests who enter inappropriately, they die. Well, wait, if God's presence is good, how is it all of a sudden dangerous for people? So think of it this way. God's presence is like the sun. It's pure power and goodness. And when something mortal and corruptible gets close to such pure power, it's destroyed. And so the word holiness is used in Leviticus to describe God's pure and powerful presence, which like the sun is both good and dangerous. So the point of Leviticus is to show how corrupt Israelites can live near God's goodness without being destroyed. Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, join me in Leviticus chapter 10, our third week in Leviticus. My name is Josh Burnham, lead pastor here at Bethel. Uh, You might notice little faces among the crowd today. Uh, This is our fifth Sunday, and it's unique in the fact that we invite all of our little ones, our kindergartners through first grade through fifth grade here with us. So let let me say several things. One... If you don't have any little ones and you're not used to little ones and the little one sitting next to you bothers you, that is the Holy Spirit prompting you to pray for that family. Invest in them spiritually. That way, one day, if that child has not put their faith in Jesus and they come forward and they're baptized, you will remember the day they sat next to you and you said, Lord, I spent that time praying for their hearts. And Lord, you heard those prayers. The second thing I want us to to realize is it's good for our little ones to see adults worshiping. They need to see you worshiping. The third thing I want to remind us of, the same gospel that saves adults is the same good news that saves a child. We will not water down the gospel for little ones. The same cross that Jesus died on to save me is the same cross that Jesus died on to save them. And my prayer right now is that God would save their souls if they do not believe in him. Uh, With that, a very difficult passage today. Uh, Parents, you're going to love me. Leviticus 10, Nadab and Abihu this morning. Let's read together. Leviticus chapter 10. If you don't know where Leviticus is, Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, beginning in verse 1, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each took his own fire pan, put fire in it, placed incense in it, and presented unauthorized fire before the Lord, which had not commanded them to do. And then kids and youth, I want you to pay attention to verse 2. Then fire came from the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has spoken. I will demonstrate my holiness to those who are near me, and I will reveal my glory before all people. And Aaron remained silent. Um, Some of your versions might say Aaron kept his peace. Do you ever wonder where that phrase comes from in the English? Verse 4, Moses summoned Mishael and Elzaphon, sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, Come here, carry your relatives away from the front of the sanctuary to place them outside the camp 
So they came forward, carried them in their tunics outside the camp, as Moses had said. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, do not let your hair hang loose. Do not tear your clothes or else you will die and the Lord will become angry with the whole community. However, your brothers in the whole house of Israel may weep over the conflagration the Lord ignited. You must not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting or you will die for the Lord's anointing is the Lord's anointing oil is upon you. So they did as Moses said. Uh, let's pray. Father, we we are awestruck by your word. Lord, often we have difficulty understanding your truth because your ways are so much greater than ours. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. And we ask you right now that you would focus our minds. You would open our hearts. You would strengthen our ears. You would tune our lives to sing your praise and that you would give action to our feet that we might live the good news. Father, remind us today that you are holy, holy, holy. Help us understand that truth that we would never be the same again. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And... Amen. Our big idea is simply this. Um, When you understand the holiness of God, when he demonstrates his holiness, it changes everything. Now, some of you parents, you're going to love me because you're going to have some fantastic bedtime discussions based on this passage today. Nadab and Abihu. Um, But if we're honest, this is horrific. That two priests going into the presence of God were struck down because they offered what the Bible calls unauthorized, alien, strange fire. And the reason that we find difficulty with this passage is because if you're honest, how many times have you come into the presence of God? And if this is the boundary that God sets, how many times have you come in the presence with something strange? And how often in our lives should the outcome of our worship been the same as Nadab and Abihu? I think that's why we're going to push back this morning. We say, well, God, surely this is not fair. God, if this is the standard that you set, who can come into your presence? So I I want us to unfold um, this morning in two ways. The first is an explanation of the text because it requires some explaining. And the second is simple application. So God, help us understand. And then Lord, help us live this out. Help us live this out. Let me just ask you, when was the last time you entered the presence of the Lord in a strange manner, in an unauthorized manner? Maybe that day is today. Maybe you're here and you say, Lord, I'm not worthy. Lord, I know what I did yesterday. God, I I know what we did this morning. God, I know the sin I'm carrying in here. Father, purify our hearts. So let's look at verse 1 as we work through this passage in Leviticus 10. Um, The CSB, Christian Standard Bible, does not have this word here, but most of your versions say this, then or now. Look at verse 1. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, then this happened. What's interesting here in this passage, this is the first 
official day that the Israelite system of worship was to be employed. And you think you had a bad day on the job day one. This is the first day that God's measure of worship was to be employed and the priest failed to practice what God had commanded. Let, let that truth sink in. Day one and it failed. This is a reminder to me that any religious system that depends on man will fail. Any. You say, well, how do you know that? Who instituted this as the way of worship? Not Nadab, not Abihu, not Aaron, but the Lord God himself instituted this. But it relied here on men keeping the commands of God. And day one and crash and burn. Any religious system that depends on you and me will fail. Let me carry it further. Any religious institution that depends on us will fail day one. Day one. And before we get too big in our brushes and say, well, we're Southern Baptists. We're not Israelites. Exactly. We don't have a prayer. We don't have a prayer. Look at the word of the Lord. These were God's people in God's covenant. These were the people that were near Sinai that saw the Ten Commandments come down. These were the people that saw the fire of God unleashed. And still they did not obey. This is why I hold on to this truth. It is by grace alone in Christ alone. There is nothing more I can do today to make God love me. And there is nothing more I can do today to make God love me less because my faith and my grace is not mine. It is his and it does not depend on me. It is not my salvation. It is his salvation offered to me. And I treasure that because I am Nadab. Secondly, these men take their own fire pan and they put fire in it. They place incense on the fire pan and they present unauthorized fire before the Lord. Now to our youth who said the Bible doesn't say anything about aliens. Yes, some translations say alien fire. So you can figure that out when you go home, right? But what is this strange fire? We do not know. But that doesn't give us an allowance not to ponder or pontificate. Especially the rabbis, they designated 12 thoughts that maybe this is the reason that this fire was not accepted before the Lord. Uh, one was that they went too far into the sanctuary. So they had the right fire, but they went into they went the wrong door. Um, that's one explanation. Another explanation is that they offered coals from outside the temple area. So maybe these were coals that were not permitted into the temple and they learned very quickly that God does not allow strange fire into his presence. Uh, I love this one. Um, one rabbi said that maybe their incense did not contain the proper ingredients. We don't know. Um, this would horrify me. How often have you messed up a recipe because you left one ingredient out and the cookies tasted bad? Um, this is so much more important, is it not? Some have offered that it was just the wrong time, that it was the right sacrifice, 
that it was the right room, it was the right person, but it was the wrong time. And, and really modern readers are dismiss this as, well, this was ancient. This was, this was long ago. And, and, and God would never do the same thing now. Here's the reminder of strange fire. You have no insignificant sin. There is no insignificant sin. How dare you and I call our lies white? They are anything but white. How dare we say, well, Lord, this is just fire. They, they weren't murdering anyone. God, they didn't steal or kill or destroy. They didn't run around on their spouse. Lord, there's so many worse things that you could have judged. This is just fire. And God says, there is no just sin in your life. God's people cannot tolerate sin. Let me go further with this. God's people cannot tolerate sin in God's community. I will say this over and over again. My sin, because you are covenant members here, if you are, my sin is your problem. And your sin is my problem. You cannot turn a blind eye to my sin because there is no sin. You can't just say, well, pastor, it's just fire. God doesn't care. That is a lie. That is ungodly. My sin, your sin is my problem. And our sin is equal in the sight of God. It is blasphemy against God. There is no such thing as insignificant sin. Now, let me say this also, which means that your sin is no better nor worse than your brother's sin. Your sin is no better nor worse. You can't look at me and say, well, I, I sinned, but I, at least I didn't do what Josh did this week. Our, there is no insignificant sin. And the world needs to see us treat our sin as significant, as unholy, as blasphemous. Look at the response here in verse two and three. Strange, alien, unauthorized fire by Nadab and Abihu, they present it before the Lord, then fire came from the Lord. So they present fire, fire comes from the Lord and consume them and they died. 12 times in the Old Testament, we see fire coming down from heaven. Six times, that's a good thing. It shows the demonstration of God's love and his presence for the people. Now remember, what, what goes by before the, the community of faith in day? The cloud goes at night, the pillar of fire. So the fire is representative of God's glory. But six times, the fire from the Lord is a uh-oh moment. It's about to get real, as our kids say. It's going down for real, right? Because the fire was a, was a method of God's judgment on the community of faith. Here's the reminder that God's laws, God's teaching for your life are not for your detriment. God doesn't give us his law and say, I've given you this to hurt you. God is saying, I have given you my word because I love you. Right? Don't, look, don't come into my presence with unauthorized fire. And I'm not saying that because I am a God who is angry and vengeance and, and vitriolic, if that's a word, Vitriol, 
But God is saying, I have protecting you because I want to love you and to be gracious and merciful towards you. Do not look at God's law and his teachings as I can't believe God would tell me that. It is for your good. It's because he loves you. Little ones, young ones, youth, there are things that your parents tell you and you think in your mind, they don't want me to have any fun. And really your parents are telling you that because they love you and it's what's best for you. It's as if they're telling you, don't play in the street. And you say, well, how dare you? Tell me, I cannot play in the street. You must hate me. But your parents are telling you, you don't understand there's a car coming. And if you don't quit playing in the street of your sin, it will lead to devastation in your life. God's law is given because he loves us. This is the response of God. Look at verse two, God's fire comes and consumes them and they died before the Lord. Very simply, these priests flouted God's presence. They took it for advantage. Well, we can be near God. We can then flout that to the population. Listen, being near God carries humongous responsibility for our lives. The nearer you grow in your faith, the more responsibility you have to share to the world that he is holy and he is righteous and he is good. This is the reminder in Leviticus. Being near the Lord carries privilege and responsibility. You say, well, what does this look like? Why would God be so quick to punish? Uh, look at verse four with me, three, sorry. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord had spoken. I will demonstrate my holiness, myself to those who come there. I will demonstrate my holiness. The death of Aaron's sons is a way of demonstrating that God's holiness is established through correct performance of his ways in the Old Testament. God is demonstrating his holiness. Jesus reminds us that anyone who loves him will obey his teachings. That God's holiness is demonstrated through this act in your life. And look at Aaron's response. Parents, I want you to pay attention to Aaron's response. Before we just read through this and say, well, this is a story. Let's just gloss over. Let's just move. Nadab and Abihu have died. And this is their father's response. I will demonstrate my holiness to all those who are near me. I will, re I will reveal my glory before the people. And Aaron remained silent. Why? How? How could Aaron remain silent at what we would call a tragedy? The father in me is screaming, God, how could you? But what does Aaron understand? He understands that God is holy, that he is holy, that he is holy. He could offer no excuse or condemnation. Last explanation, verse four. Moses summoned Mishael and Elzaphon, sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, come here, carry your relatives away from the front of the sanctuary to a place outside the camp. So they came forward and they carried them in their tunics or with their tunics. What's interesting here is that 
they were not entirely consumed. Um, most commentators, especially most Jewish commentators, would suggest to you that their faces were burned, that the fire that they offered to the Lord was the medium that God used to instruct or inflict judgment upon their lives. And so now they're carrying them out by their tunics. Why could Aaron not carry them out himself? Because he could not desecrate the holy oil that was put upon him. Now, some of you are thinking, what in the world does this have to do with me? I'm glad you asked. Let's, let's apply this in our lives. Very simply, God is holy. God is holy. By nature, God is holy. There are two basic components of the holiness of God. The first is his uniqueness. God is unique. He is not like us. He is not like anything you know. He is not like anything that you think you know. He is not like anything that anyone you know might think about him. God is unique. He is holy. He is not made with human hands. He is not constructed by the thought of man. God is unique. And the fact that he is unique means he is totally and radically separate from his creation. He is totally and radically set, um, set apart from his creation. He is set apart, he is marked off, and he is withdrawn from ordinary use. He is withdrawn from ordinary use. God is anything but ordinary. And how dare we come to God as if he is anything but ordinary. God is holy. Secondly, his holiness reminds us that he is absolute in purity and goodness. So he is perfectly unique, set apart, and God is perfectly good and moral and pure. This is going to have great repercussions on our lives as we will see shortly. Said in other terms, the Lord is untouched and unstained by evil in our worlds. So if you look at the world and you cry out, God, why are you allowing all this evil? God is the only one that can say he's untouched by this tragedy that we call sin and evil. And scripture is screaming at us that God is holy, holy, and holy. Now, why is this important for us that God is holy? Because we cannot allow nor worship any other God. We cannot allow or nor worship any other God. Let me put it in other terms. Only once in scripture is God spoken of in this third degree with this attribute. Only once. There is only one characteristic of God mentioned three times in succession. And it is what we've already read in Isaiah 6. God is holy. God is holy. God is holy. Why is that important? Because a non-holy God or a partly holy God is not a God. A God that is not holy is an idol. It's not God. If your God, listen, if your God is love, 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 or if your God is mercy, 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 or grace, 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 and not holy, 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 you are not worshiping the God of the Bible. You are not worshiping Jesus Christ. And, and I'm reminded here, 
in God's word. Why do we allow people who do not believe in God to tell us what to believe about God? Right? Well, people will come up to me all the time. They say, well, my God is not like that. You're what? Who said that we make God? If that were the case, he would not be God. Well, my God wouldn't do this. He's love, love, love. Your God is not a God. He's an idol. And you're crafting your God in your image because you don't want to deal with your sin. And only a separate holy God could give us the remedy for our sin. God is holy. And do not listen to anyone else who says otherwise. Do not listen to anyone else. Secondly, it's going to get worse for us. Because God is holy, his people must be holy. Right? Because God is holy, his people must be holy. Now, listen very carefully. I want you to lean in for about 30 seconds. Because I don't want you to miss what I hear. What you hear me say. I believe the flippant use of the phrase, once saved, always saved, is sending people to hell. I believe in Baptist circles that the flippant use of the phrase, once saved, always saved, is sending people to hell. Now, I've got your attention. Let me explain that. I believe that every saint will persevere to the ends. I believe that I have not earned my salvation, and I believe that I cannot unearn my salvation. I believe that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that I am saved. I believe that my salvation is kept secure in heaven, imperishable by my Lord and Savior. But this is what I also believe. I believe that if you are holding on to some decision that you have made in your life concerning your eternal destiny, and there has been zero change in your life, that that flies in the face of what we have read today. I believe that if, you have, if you're thinking today, well, I made a decision, and once saved, always saved, and there has been no change, no fruit of repentance, you are going to hell because you are not trusting in the holiness and the righteousness of God. And that terrifies me as pastor because I am held accountable for your souls. God is holding me liable for how I teach and proclaim the gospel. Do I believe that people in Christ are eternally secure? Absolutely. Do I believe that some of you think you're saved and you're not? Absolutely. And for that, I wake up at night because you have bought the lie that you can follow Christ and nothing changes. You do not know the God of the Bible. You do not know this God. When we fail to take our holiness seriously, we fail to take our Savior serious, and we offer strange fire. We offer strange fire. This is what First Peter says. Remember, a man who's fallen from grace. Peter says in 115, but as he who has called you holy has also declared us to be holy in conduct, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Because God is holy, his people must, not should, not might, his people must be holy. Now let me give you some encouragement. Because God is unique 
and he is pure, if you have responded to the grace of God upon your life, you are unique and you are now holy and righteous. Think about that. If God is calling us to be holy, he has equipped you to be holy. He doesn't leave us alone and say, go get it. Good luck. Fight the good fight. God has equipped us deep down to do that. This is the power of Jesus Christ. I was reminded again this week that the world is captivated by the royal family in England. We don't even have a king in America. We're captivated by other kings and royalty. You know why I think we're captivated? I use we collectively, right? Because I think deep down we want to be in the royal family. Deep down you think if I could just be a prince, or if I could just be a princess, how awesome would that be? Here, listen to the, the gospel. If you know Jesus Christ, you are adopted into the king's family. You are. We are not ordinary. We are unique because of the adoption into the royal family. And because of this, we are now called to purity and goodness. Look at what 2 Peter tells us. By his divine power, he has given us everything required for life and godliness and righteousness. By his divine power, he has given you, listen, church, everything I know we're stubborn sometimes. If God has given you everything, is there anything he has not given you that you need? No. Just say it out loud that way. There's no excuse. God, hold us accountable. We have everything we need. So when God saves us, we don't look at him and say, God, I need more. In Christ, I have everything I need. And he is holy and he is righteous and he calls us to do the same. God's people must be holy. We must be because he is holy. Third, I think we see this applied in our life this way. God's judgment always fits the crime. God's judgment always, I know what you're thinking. This is just fire. You know the old, um, if you ever watch basketball, we're in playoff time, right? The old Iverson thing. It's just practice. We're talking about practice. Practice. Some of you are thinking, this is fire. It's not, not even a big sin. It's just fire. Listen, God's judgment always fits the sin. It always fits the crime. God's judgment is real because every sin leads to death. Every sin leads to judgment. And every judgment of a perfectly good God is perfectly fair and perfectly just. I reminded our life group this morning that when we talk about the judgment of God and the world says, how dare you guys speak about the judgment of God? Every time in scripture that judgment of the Lord is seen, if you're in my life group class, this is your time to respond. Every time the judgment of God is seen in scripture, who is judged first? the church, the community of faith. God's people are always judged first. God's people do not escape judgment. One day because of my sin, God will look at me and say, Josh, you are guilty. And because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ who died on the cross, God will look at me and say, but you are also righteous. You are guilty, but he has paid it all. 
And then I will say all to him I owe. That my sin has made a crimson stain, but his blood has washed it white as snow. Studies find that 4% of death row inmates are actually innocent. 4%. You know what I'm reminded here in scripture? God's judgment is always righteous and always perfect. God will not look at your innocence and declare you guilty. God will not look at your guilt and declare you innocent. If he did that, he would not be God. He would not be good. He would not be just. He would not be holy. And God does not judge you and me by our standards. He judges us by his standards. That's why we need Christ. Because only one can measure up and you're not looking at him. And you are not him and you are not her. It is the power of Christ. And you're thinking, this is a horrible message. I have no hope. This is what Romans 8 says about the judgment of God. Listen. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. How can this be? Look, God's judgment always fits the crime. And I am always eternally sinful and I am always eternally guilty and I deserve eternal separation. And here in Romans, it says that there is no condemnation. How can I have that? Because Christ has paid for my guilt. God's judgment always fits your crime. And Jesus has paid for your judgment if you trust in him. Fourthly, I think we can apply the scripture this way. True worship is essential for the Christ follower. True worship is essential for the Christ follower. Let's look at the seriousness of Nadab and Abihu. Their disobedience was met with strict and utter judgment of God. Why? Because their worship was resolutely important in the community of faith. Worship should be where we spur each other to love and good works. You show me someone that does not want to worship at all, I will show you someone that does not know God personally. Now, if if there's someone that says, well, I am struggling, I say, well, brother, let me help you. Let me strive with you. Let me hurt with you. But do not look at God and say, God, I love you, but I don't want to show you my love. God, I love you, but let me, I will half-heartedly worship you. What a tragedy in our lives. Part-time worship always leads to full-time apathy. Part-time worship always leads. Look, worship for us is a chance to brag on Jesus, to spur one another on to love and good works, where Greg is coming to me and saying, look, let me tell you what God did this week. Let me brag on And and Casey is saying, no, let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. And Wanda is saying, no, let me tell you. And by the time we leave here, it is a look what God has done in our midst. Oh, by the way, we sang a couple songs. This is the goodness and the beauty of our God. And so I come in here recharged to love and good works because you have charged me. And Christ is working through you in my life. And God is using me to work through to you. And together we are, we are unleashing the holiness of God to the world.
Test, test, test. But with a new battery, I have another 30 minutes. Thank you, Mitch. Parents, I want to remind you that what you do part-time, your kids will not do at all. Grandparents, what you do part-time and half-heartedly, your kids will not do at all. And this is what I'm seeing as a former children's pastor and a current U6 soccer coach. We have kids in our community that have never heard the name of God. They do not know about Jesus. He said, well, how could that happen in Alabama? We live in the South because grandparents and parents half-heartedly and part-time worshiped God. And we are seeing generations grow up because our hearts are not in it. And our kids say, if your heart's not in it, Dad, why does it matter to me? And may we do better. May we do otherwise. Our teachers could give you story after story of kids who do not know Christ. Church, we should rise up and show people that worship is essential. It is not optional. It is at the core of who I am. Fifthly and lastly, we can apply this text this way. Are you offering strange fire? Are you here today and you are Nadab and you are Abihu? I want to remind you the words of Matthew 7 of what Jesus says, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Not, Jesus is saying, not everyone who stands up in church and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will. I want to lovingly tell you that there are some here today that you say with your mouth, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will say to you, depart from me because I do not know you. And I pray to the core of who you are this morning that that would drive fear to the division between your joints and your spirit. Knowing that if you die today, you would be judged by God on your merit alone. And that you would live in eternal destiny in hell away from him. Because it is not what you do, it is what Jesus did on your behalf. And as horrible as that news to you, and as offensive as that might be, here's the good news. That Jesus, according to the scriptures, died on the cross. For your sins. That he who knew no sin became your sin, that you might become the righteousness of a holy, holy, holy God. And that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord and does the will of the Father will be saved. And that grace is offered to you right now. And that grace can be yours. You say, well, Pastor, what do I need to do? You can pray a simple prayer. It's the most simple prayer you will ever pray, and it's the most difficult decision you will ever make. And it goes like this. Lord, I am a sinner. Big sinner, not a little sinner. Lord, I realize today that my small, strange fire in the scheme of things 
is eternally damning. It is eternally sinful. And God, I'm sorry. And I will never measure up, but Jesus took my place. And I believe that he died. I believe that he rose again. And I believe that because he rose again, if I believe in your son as you have promised to me, I will be saved. And God, right now is that day. Right now, I declare that you are my savior. You are my redeemer. Because there's nothing good in me, but there's a lot good in your son, and I want that. Will you not accept the grace that is offered to you? That is God's invitation this morning. Church, how can we respond to the holiness of God? Hebrews 12 says it this way. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. If we do not take the holiness of God seriously, the world will not take our God seriously. Show me a person who says, sin, pfft, that's a person the world looks at and says, I don't want your God because he's not making a difference. The world is longing for a God that is holy, that is set apart, that is morally pure and righteous. That is the God that we live for. Church, it's time for us to be the church and to live a holy life knowing that God has given us everything that we need for holiness and righteousness. If you're here today and you are holding on to sins, right now is the time to let those go. If you're here today and sin is holding on to you, I want you to know about the chain breaker. His name is Jesus Christ. And when he saves you, he looks at you and says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Put your trust in him today. He will save you. He will redeem you. And he will bring you near to a God who is holy, holy, holy. Let's pray. Father.